So tonight I'll be concluding the series on the Brahma Viharas. Over the last few weeks we've looked at metta, loving kindness, karuna, compassion, mudita, appreciative joy, and tonight upeka, equanimity. These four Brahma Viharas are said to be our natural home, our best home. Four qualities of heart and mind that we can cultivate. And, you know, remembering the word of cultivation here isn't creating, but it's turning our mind towards these four qualities that we actually naturally find present when the mind is at home, at peace. These four qualities are also the qualities that are extremely helpful in having a wise relationship to life, that we can use them in our daily practice of relating with others, that they can help us to find a way to relate to others that brings about greater peace and harmony, a way that we can come to live from a place of inclusion, where we include uh, all different kinds of beings in our lives. Patro Rinpoche Uh, a very famous Tibetan teacher, says in his book, Words of My Perfect Teacher, he says, we can summarize the four boundless qualities in the single phrase, a kind heart. Just train yourself to have a kind heart always and in all situations. So as we cultivate these four qualities, it's a training of the heart turning the heart towards kindness, learning to have a kind heart in all situations, in all instances. And it's not a kindness that is superficial. It's a kindness that is born of wisdom. It's a kindness that comes through complete connection with life and becomes responsive. When we look at the qualities of loving-kindness, compassion, and appreciative joy, it's easy to hear these phrases and think of a kind heart. When we hear the word equanimity and relate it um, as being relate to it as being a mind that is balanced and doesn't fall into extremes or a mind that is not caught in preferences, we might think that it neutralizes our love, makes it boring and flat. And yet, actually, equanimity is the quality that makes all of the other Brahma-viharas possible. It takes these four qualities, or these other three qualities, and enables them to be boundless, enables them to become these immeasurables 
because it's not caught up in a small frame of kindness, of who we be kind to, but extends it broadly and immeasurably. It's equanimity that gives an unconditionality to our love, where we can let go of the conditions or attachments. And it's equanimity that brings wisdom to our relationships. So to speak a little bit about the quality of equanimity itself. So equanimity is present when the mind is balanced. There uh, can be a sense of being poised that experiences arise and pass away. And we don't get caught up in the pleasure of the experiences or we don't push away that which is unpleasant. It allows a great receptivity. It allows us to be able to open to all kinds of experiences. For example, we experience it when we're sitting and maybe there's knee pain, maybe sounds. At times there may be, uh, you know, maybe beautiful light vibrations in the body. And then a thought, a memory arises. Maybe at times there's light, flashing lights, and then sounds, and the breath. And there's no picking and choosing as to what is known. There's no wanting to hang on to the aspects of this experience that we enjoy, relish. And there's no pushing away of that which we don't want. I had an experience just the other day where I was on Plum Island, which is a a beautiful beach that's not so far from here. Uh, And I was walking down the beach, and it was one of the gorgeous sunny days that we've had. Uh, I love the ocean. There was the roar of the ocean. There was a good surf up. Um, It was a wind that was a bit cool. And I walked far enough that there was blisters on my feet. Um, And then slowly aches and pains from walking on the, you know, the, the slope of the sand. And, you know, just walking along, experiencing it all. Not trying to just dwell on the roar of the ocean. Or not getting caught up in the misery of the blister on my foot. But it was letting it all come, letting it all be known, letting it all be touched, with no preferences, not picking and choosing. This quality of equanimity allows us to deeply connect with experience. Because without this quality of equanimity, we get caught in the reactivity. Something arises and it's really painful from the past. If there's no equanimity, we'll just get caught in it. We'll spiral down with it. 
we become broken by the pain. Or if there's not equanimity, when uh, really pleasurable experiences arise, we get caught up in enthusiasm, excitement. We can get caught in having a very limited perception of life, as if this one moment is such a great experience and uh, it will last. And then, of course, we'll be broken as things change, as things shift. But when equanimity is there, we don't fall into these extremes. We have the capacity to stay balanced. I'd like to share this teaching story of which there's many versions, and this is one of the more modern-day versions. There was a man who was unexpectedly laid off from work. A neighbor who learned of this event sadly shook his head and said, How terrible it is that you've lost your job. Perhaps, the man replied. And since the man was now unemployed, he took a walk downtown. Then he bumped into an old friend who was a successful banker. The banker offered him a job at twice the money of his previous one. When the neighbor heard the the good news, he could barely contain his excitement. That's fantastic, said the neighbor. Perhaps, answered the man. And two days later, while working at his new job, the man slipped and injured his back. When the neighbor noticed the man hobble home, he asked what had happened. After learning the news, the man was sympathetic. Oh, that's too bad. What an unlucky break, he said. Perhaps, said the man. The next day, as the man stayed at home nursing his bad back, the bank was victimized by a terrifying robbery. And when the neighbor read about it, he called his friend on the phone. What a stroke of luck you have in missing that robbery, declared the neighbor. Perhaps, answered the man, again without missing a single beat. So this neighbor knew nothing about equanimity. That when something really good happened, there was excitement, this is great, this is fantastic. And then when something uh, that looked like misfortune, oh, it's terrible, oh, it's sad. You you can just feel within that how tiring that can be. You know, oh, how wonderful, how wonderful. Oh, no, terrible, terrible. It's painful. And it's probably something that at least some of us can relate to in our own experience. You know, we see it in just sitting on the cushion. The times we get really happy, excited when it's going the way we want it to. And then when something difficult, challenging comes up. Oh, terrible. Whoa, things have gone wrong. And really, these are just the events of life. This is what happens, having a mind and body. You know, if we have the opportunity to sit long enough, we really come to see how everything comes and goes. All of the beautiful states, all of the hindrances, they come, they go. And when we really accept this, it's like it happens in one moment, and this is just what is so. It will change. It changes. This is just what is so. There's that balance. 
stability. The mind becomes unshakable. And this equanimity that we experience is not you know, some state that we just fall into. Equanimity is rooted in insight. It's where there is a wise relationship with experience. You know, we've stopped being seduced by the beautiful, the wonderful. We've stopped being put off by the unpleasant mind states, disturbing mind states. We can see them for what they are. And in doing that, in being able to see life as it is, our boat is more stable. There's not a sense of being thrown, not a sense of being at sea in the changing conditions of life. When we're not caught in the reactivity, we're not um, picking and choosing, but just allowing things to be, which enables this uh, deep connection with experience. It helps us to face karmic knots, karmic patterns that we have in the past been quite tied up in, bound by, because it brings a spaciousness that can hold whatever patterns that are there that are painful. It has this capacity to hold that which can seemingly at times be unbearable. Equanimity helps us to move into new territory and to find that fearless quality of heart that can do so, that can step into the unknown. If it weren't for equanimity, we wouldn't be able to do this. We would be stopped each time that we started experiencing something new. But this capacity that equanimity brings to the mind will help us to be able to let go of the conceptual world that we find ourselves bound in and open up freshly in each moment. Equanimity is often likened to that of a mountain. And for me, this is uh, a description that can get me in touch with this quality of equanimity on almost a cellular level. And that's because I grew up quite close, living close to the mountains, and thought that the mountains were actually one of my first teachers. 
And I used to love to go and sit on a mountain and just experience the changes that come simply through the weather. That sitting on the side of a mountain, it might be warm and sunny in one moment. The next moment might be strong wind come in, uh, rain, sleet, ice can be uh, very loud and uh, dynamic thunderstorms. And then can be moments of real calm, silence. And that can all happen within five minutes sitting on a mountain. And the mountain within that remains unshakable. It's simply receiving all of these different conditions, allowing, receptive, without being shaken. We find with equanimity that there is this unshakability, but it is not rigid. It is not fixed. It is a malleability that can open to all experiences. It's where there's this poise, balance in the mind. And you know, so often when we think of there being a balance in the mind, we might get uh, an image of being on a very thin edge of which we have to maintain a perfect poise. But the balance that comes through equanimity is more space-like. You know, it, it, it is so vast and spacious that it can hold everything. It's not this tiny point of balance. Rainer Rilke, in his Book of Hours, says, Let everything happen to you, beauty and terror. Just keep going. No feeling is final. This is what equanimity gives us the capacity to open to. The sorrow and the joys, all of life in its totality. I remember an experience I had on one retreat of equanimity. Uh, There was a moment, or a few moments, several moments, where there was a flood of strong emotions. There was shame, embarrassment, regret, guilt, fear. But as these states arose, they were all held within this vast field of equanimity. So different to when these states rise and we get entangled with them, when we get caught or identified, when we start trying to get away from, push away these states. It allows us to touch our deepest pain. There's an acceptance that comes with equanimity. It's not a passive acceptance where we collapse 
in resignation. But it can be an acceptance that is instilled with patience, that recognizes that this is how things are right now. It's an acceptance that recognizes the truth of impermanence, that there's nothing to hang on to. It's a responsiveness that is rooted in the deep intuitive wisdom rather than habituated reactivity. A common experience that we mistake for equanimity is that of indifference. But with indifference, it can at times seem like it's peaceful, but it is through disconnection, not connecting with experience. It you know, has that edge of inver- aversion to it, where there is the pulling away from experience. Indifference is often a way that we try to keep ourselves safe, where we don't want to be tossed around by uh, life's experiences, but we haven't learned yet how to fully open and stay balanced to these experiences. So we start trying to pull away and, you know, can end up in quite a cold and brittle place. We find that indifference reinforces the sense of separation, where equanimity has that full engagement, full connection with experience. It's only been through my practice that I've really come to see how much reactivity there is in the mind. Uh, And, you know, that reactivity doesn't have to be something big and dynamic, but it can be just, uh, you know, the slight contraction in the test where we pull away from unpleasant or the slight leaning into that which is pleasant. Before I began my practice, I felt like I was a somewhat balanced person and, you know, didn't see all of this reactivity. And then, you know, through my practice, was amazed to see just how much there was. I also began to see that, you know, many times, say, when anger arose in, from the place of indifference or place of trying to stay cool with the anger, um, you know, there was a distancing that happened. But I also began to see when I could really touch into the depths of that anger, there was a deep acceptance, you know, as if that anger could be there for the rest of my life and it would be okay. This was when equanimity came into play. 
when we pay attention to the times when we're caught in reactivity, it will, you know, if we can see the reactivity, it's a moment where we can practice equanimity just in the seeing of it. And it's helpful just to watch it on the level of the push and the pull to see, uh, you know, I've noticed it one time when I was walking into my living room and I found myself sitting on a chair that I didn't normally sit in. And so I just suddenly, you know, thought, hmm, how did I get here? And so I just looked around the room and I noticed that everywhere, every other seat in the room had something on it. And so what had happened when I walked into the room, without being aware of it, I had simply gone the path of least resistance, you know, where I wouldn't have to reach over and pick up something. You know? And it's not a big deal on some level. And yet, if we don't pay attention to this push and pull, we just start going that path of least resistance in our lives, which is not based upon wisdom. It's not based upon clear seeing. Just in the conditions in being at the forest refuge will give us a number of opportunities to plat to watch our reactivity, to work with equanimity, um, because our environment, to some extent, is out of our control here. And so there can be times when that's really painful, unpleasant. We don't like it. It's simply reactivity. Um, When we work with equanimity, it's working with simply accepting the conditions that are here, accepting what is offered. We can work with equanimity as we walk through the food line. You know, it may not be what we most want to eat, but we can simply be open to receiving what is offered. So, equanimity as a Brahma-vihara. As I mentioned in the beginning of the talk, equanimity is what makes loving-kindness possible, both from the place of uh, allowing us to touch into the unconditional aspect of loving-kindness that we can freely offer without wish or wanting something in return. Being able to give without expectation. It also is what enables our loving-kindness to become impartial, to be extended to all forms of life, without distinction, without exclusion. There's a description that I'd like to share about equanimity that is uh, used a lot in the teachings. And it's likened to what a parent goes through 
in loving their child. You know, when a child is small, they need a lot of care, they need a lot of direction, they need a lot of guidance. And the parent does this, offers this. And then there comes a day when the child grows up, when the child has to uh, learn to make decisions for themselves. They one day leave home. At this point, the parent can still freely offer their loving kindness, but they have to let go of trying to control the child, trying to say what the child should do, but to they empower them by giving them freedom, knowing that they will continue to love and care for them, but the child has to make their own decisions. And this is how the child will find strength. The phrase that is used as we do equanimity practice is, the classical phrase is, all beings are owners of their own karma. Their happiness or unhappiness depends upon their actions and not upon my wishes for them. This is a very powerful phrase. I remember when I was once doing Brahma-vihara practice intensively and had been doing it for about six weeks, and then I came to uh, do equanimity. And as soon as I started with this phrase, um, it was, had the effect of kind of sober up. You know, I've been getting quite uh, delighted, happy, from doing the other Brahma-viharas. And then it just brought... Uh, Actually, for, at first it was surprise. Like, oh, here I had been, you know, for weeks on end, wishing well to others. And then, you know, suddenly doing the statement that, that points to however much I may wish well for you, you are the owner of your own karma. That, you know, your actions will uh, bring fruits back to you. And that is out of my control. And it was... It was a sobering moment, but it was also a freeing moment. You know, where I suddenly, you know, had, hadn't seen it, but it had been creeping in as if I was responsible for everyone else's happiness. And suddenly it was seen that, you know, in my heart I could still do this, I could still wish well for everyone. But I you know, everyone is responsible in themselves. And this can be empowering. I know sometimes people hear this phrase and it can set off reactivity. You know, if we think of child born into poverty, if we think of child abuse, um, you know, to say, oh, well, that's just somebody's karma, feels really brutal and harsh. But karma is not something that is so simple 
that all of the conditions can be known simply by looking at the situation. What becomes empowering about realizing that we are the owners of our own karma is that when we find ourselves in situations that are very difficult and challenging, if we bring this phrase to mind, it helps to give us the strength to look and to see, what can I learn from this? How can I be free of suffering in this moment? It helps us to stay connected and empowered rather than feeling like a victim. It helps to give us a steadiness. It also helps us to have the capacity to keep our hearts open. I remember once when I said something that I regretted, would have loved to have never said, felt totally embarrassed by. Um, But found that in saying these phrases over and over to myself, I am the owner of my own karma. My happiness or unhappiness depends upon my actions. This empowered me. It, gave, it brought a sense of uprightness. Yes, I'd done something that I wasn't happy about, that I had regret about, but I was willing to own it. I was willing to be honest. And it brought strength. It helped me to know that, okay, there's consequences from that. I will live with the consequences. To live honestly is so empowering, strengthening. We find that equanimity helps compassion to be steady. It enables compassion to have the strength to stay present to suffering. And it allows, uh, it allows us to work with compassion over and over again because it's so challenging to open to the depths of suffering. But equanimity gives compassion this capacity to be steady and fearless and heroic in the face of suffering. The characteristic of equanimity is said to be that of promoting the aspect of neutrality. I actually found myself quite humored when I read that, promoting the aspect of neutrality. I think in the world that we live in today that it does need promotion, 
because we live in a culture um, that seems so captivated by life of extremes, you know, that uh, we're looking for the instant hit of everything. And neutrality gets overlooked, that, you know, there isn't um, a lot good that is spoken of commonly in life about neutrality. But that's simply because we don't know the benefits of a cool mind, a mind that is non-reactive. We don't know the benefit of a mind free of grasping. Through our practice, we learn to even at first just recognize a neutral moment because these are the moments when we tend to space out, tend to disconnect, where delusion is present because of the disconnection. The function of equanimity is to see things impartially. It allows us to broaden our hearts, to become inclusive. It allows us to live beyond being caught up in our preferences. The manifestation of equanimity is the subsiding of attraction and repulsion. No longer pushed and pulled by this attraction and repulsion. Inclusive, accepting. This is just what is so. The proximate cause of equanimity is the reflection upon the fact that all beings inherit inherit the results of their own karma. A powerful reflection takes us into the law of cause and effect, takes us into an empowered way of living knowing that we can plant seeds of goodness, that we are responsible in our lives. It doesn't mean we can control our lives, but it means we can be responsible in how we respond to life. There's a number of different ways we can work with uh, strengthening this quality of equanimity, both through doing the equanimity as a Brahma-vihara, where in doing so, um, one uses this phrase, you can use the classical phrase, or using a phrase that, um, maybe a phrase such as, things are the way they are. A phrase that points us towards an understanding of this is just what is so. This is the way things are that helps us to connect with 
life without being caught in reactivity. So we can work with equanimity as a Brahma-vihara. If we're doing so, we begin with the neutral person that we may have worked with when we worked with the other categories or the other Brahma-viharas. And then once you've worked with the neutral person, you simply work through the rest of the categories. We can also strengthen equanimity in our mindfulness practice. Even if we are just working with being the breath, with the breath. If we practice simply accepting this breath just as it is, not trying to change or manipulate the breath, it becomes a lesson in equanimity, being able to receive this experience. And then we might open up to other experiences. And we learn to simply receive these experiences. And equanimity becomes quite an organic arising in the mind when we stay steady with mindfulness and concentration in our practice. We can work with equanimity when we work with, uh, uh, in our practice, being balanced in how we meet experience, that we're neither trying too hard, putting in too much effort, or too spacious, uh, so that there's no connecting with experience. Because remembering equanimity is born of connection. So it's just learning to be with experience, connecting with experience, without that effort taking over the experience. So just whatever effort or energy is required to meet, to know experience. This is uh, the bare attention that Joseph spoke about the other evening. learning to accept all formations with at- without attachment or preferences. And we take this into working uh, during our daily activities. We can practice equanimity through turning up for each moment in the day. So we don't decide that, yes, we'll just practice very diligently sitting on the cushion. But each thing that we do throughout the day, we turn up as best we can. Remembering that there is no one thing that we do during the day that is any more important than another. We turn up equally for each event. When we're sitting, 
difficult mind states. Maybe the hindrances arise. Not thinking that we have to get rid of this so we can be a good meditator. We accept this is what's happening. Open to. Be receptive to. Which isn't being carried away by. Remembering the mind is not reacting. It's simply knowing of this experience. Our practice works really directly um, with forces of attachment that we get caught in and the aversion that we push away experience. And so just as we keep seeing this over and over and over again, we become more equanimous with that movement of mind and stop reacting to the movement of mind. In our lives, we can work with equanimity as we experience the eight vicissitudes of life where we experience praise and blame, fame and disrepute, pleasure and pain, loss and gain. Our lives are made up of these experiences. You know, in one moment someone's praising you, you've done good, you're great, you're wonderful. And in the next moment someone's blaming you. We learn to open, receive the praise, the blame. The praise doesn't lead to an inflated sense of self, and the blame doesn't lead to a deflated sense of self. Our lives constantly revolve around these eight vicissitudes of life. We learn to find the balance. This is just what is so. So, the quality of equanimity. This quality that brings about a poise, a strength, an unshakability, a malleability to the mind. A quality that allows us to open our hearts unconditionally, without limit. a quality that helps us to live wisely, to live with the acceptance of the way things are. A quality that brings wisdom into our relationships, helps us to stand upright in our lives, helps us to open to our deepest pain and our greatest joys.
quality that brings a great coolness to the searing heat of attachment. the friction of aversion. A quality that has the capacity to hold it all. Remembering that all of these Brahma-viharas are, as Patro Wimpoche said, the cultivation of the kind heart. A kindness that has the depths of wisdom, a kindness that is all-embracing and knows no limit. So let's just sit for a moment. May all beings come to know the strength of equanimity.